0: Hi everyone, welcome to season one of the Art House podcast by Artesian. We're going to be talking to really smart people about their big ideas to change the world.
1: AI will be the primary force that dissolves international boundaries and borders. Our dream is to create a process that is so efficient that anybody in the planet without any PhD can run We're on a
2: mission to make solar PV low cost, fast, and easy.
1: Quite often we fell into the trap of innovation departments wanting to engage with us because they wanted to trial AI.
0: I'm Ali Clooney-Ross on lead guitar.
1: And
2: I'm Tim Heasley on backing vocals.
0: Let's get started. Today we are joined by Dr. Anna Wright, founder and CEO of Bindy Maps. Maps is a mobile app that locates users precisely in indoor spaces. It uses an audio system to describe where the users are and what's around them and the best way to get to their chosen destination. It's a navigational tool for everyone, including those with a disability. Anna is a recognised leader in the startup ecosystem and her passion for impact has seen her nominated for the Australian of the Year Award. She can also be found on numerous top 10 lists recognising outstanding entrepreneurs. Anna holds a PhD in finance and has lectured and researched in the valuations field. Thank you so much for joining us, Anna, and welcome to the Art House podcast.
1: Thanks, Ali. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me. Tim, good start. You're on mute.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was sounding so good too. All right. You're very welcome. Bindi Maps, tell us a little bit about the name and how you came about it.
1: Yeah, well Bindi Maps is actually short for be independent. So that is something that came from early on in our journey. So Bindi Maps originally started as a wayfinding app for people who are blind or vision impaired. Uh, And that came about because I actually have a vision impairment. And early on in my diagnosis, I was told that I would go blind. Uh, So working at a university, I knew that I could keep working. Uh, I just didn't know how I was going to get to different lecture theatres and different classrooms and things like that. So started that sort of investigation. And then in building Bindi maps for people who are blind or vision impaired, we realised that everybody gets lost in busy indoor spaces. So we built out the platform for people who can see. And we've also added in nowadays wheelchair accessible routing, and we're currently working on autism spectrum routing. So we like to say that Bindi Maps is an app for everyone.
0: So Anna, can you tell us a little bit about the early days of Bindi Maps? Because, you know, you didn't necessarily have a tech background, you're a lecturer, you're in finance. So you know, how did you actually start the business? You had this idea, you had the personal story, but how did you actually found it?
1: Um, Well, it was sort of a little bit by accident, Ali. I had been talking to friends forever about how much I hated Braille in internal spaces. I mean, I love Braille, but on internal spaces, I'm always curious on if you're blind, how are you supposed to know that there's a Braille sign there that may or may not tell you that that door is the door that you want? So that's always been something that I've carried on about. And one of my friends noticed that there was a new program specifically for non-technical female founders, which was the She Starts program with Blue Chili and also with Artesian. And so very early on, Artesian was part of the journey and gave, uh, us some money and Blue Chili gave us some of the tech help plus a little bit more money and we got the MVP grant and I basically scrounged money from wherever I could get it. And we came up with this fairly nasty proof of concept that really just worked for people who are blind or vision impaired. So just the voiceover directions, no maps, no nothing. Um, but it was an exciting journey going from working in academics to going and working in the startups space. Um, It was a lot of fun.
2: So Anna, we met you through the She Starts Accelerator program. Could you tell us about that experience? And where was the business up to when you went through that program?
1: Uh, Well, Tim, the business was really just an idea. And when I did my application, which was at 4am on the day that the applications closed, um, I really didn't think that anything would come of it. Uh, But being an academic, I'm always interested in learning new things. So I thought, if nothing else, I've learned something putting together this application for the sorts of questions that were being asked. And then when I was asked to the boot camp, i might they're crazy. They've made a terrible mistake. Um, But I will spend that. It was a two weeks accelerator. I thought I'm going to spend my time and pick as many brains as possible. I was always a typical academic. I was always front row and center of every single thing that was given to us. And then they made another terrible mistake and actually accepted me into the top 10 and funded me. Um, So again, I just went like, I'm just going to make the most of this opportunity and learn as much as possible and and try and get a working prototype out of it. So I had a lot of fun asking people things like, what does UX mean? And (laughs) other things that everybody else around me seemed to understand completely what everyone was talking about. And I had no idea, Um, but it was fun. And so Anna,
0: you know, obviously in those early days, because of your personal experience, it was focused on inclusivity and ensuring that visually impaired people could get around indoor spaces. And I think your example that you've just said, how do you know that the Braille is there? It's not something that people who aren't visually impaired would actually think about. So, you know, that was the original problem. But the idea actually evolved or the, the product now um, and the business has evolved. Can you tell us a little bit about the problem that you're solving more broadly now, not only for the user, but also for, you know, the customer being the indoor or the property owner?
1: So the customers of Bindi Maps are the property owners or managers, and the app itself is free to download and there are no sign-ons. So now we provide positioning and wayfinding for people of all abilities. So the way that we help people on the ground is to help them find exactly what they want in a particular space, regardless of uh, physical ability or disability. But then from the building owner's point of view, we sort of tick a few boxes for them uh, because customer experience is such a big thing. In office buildings, we're doing return to work. Not everybody remembers where all of the meetings rooms are. The, all of their hot desks, things like that. We also uh, fit on the diversity and inclusion part for the building owners. And then probably one of the biggest things that we are currently providing is a whole bunch of anonymized data. So we can give building owners back data on which Bits are being used of their buildings, uh, where those hotspots are, we've done a Formula One Grand Prix, we've done Australian Open, um, all of that data is live, so it can be used in a live sense for security. So yeah, it's evolved a lot from this app, which is people who are blind, um, to being both that sort of user-facing and then also the customer-facing on the data side of things.
0: And so, Anna, you you know, you started off as a sole founder going through the program. You've now built a big team around you. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your first hires and and what that experience was like as you started to build that team? How did you find the people that you needed despite not necessarily having a background in technology?
1: Well, again, I think I was really lucky in that my very first hires were people that I already knew within the ecosystem and in particular Tony Barrett who I ended up stealing from Blue Chilli with their blessing <laughs> But um, Tony is an amazing product person. So he was then really instrumental in then doing product hires. And Blue Chili still helped. So our first ever dev hires, Blue Chili, did the testing because I'd have no idea when somebody told me what they could code. I wouldn't have a clue what that even means. So I'd always say that it's all about reaching out to find people in your network that can help you find different expertise or even understand the language or what you need to build our product because being a non-technical founder, the devs are always laughing at me because I'll just go and talk to them and they say, you just wave your hands and just say, you know, just, <laughs> I want this with a lot of hand-waving and then <laughs> it's left to them to try and work out what exactly I mean. Um, but it's worked so far, so <laughs> we go with that.
2: Anna, you appear to have successfully traversed the journey from academic to founder to CEO. Can you explain a little bit about how you've made those transitions between those quite different roles?
1: Uh, They're different on paper, but I would say underlying all of those roles is curiosity. And asking lots of questions and creativity and being flexible and that idea that if something doesn't work the first time, you go back and you try again. I mean, it's very. There's a lot of similarities between academics when you're trying to, you know, work on a particular problem. It's not that you get crucified if you make a mistake, or it's more that the mistake is part of your learning on how to get to the correct answer. So, yeah, I'd say on paper they're different, but in reality. They're fairly similar, and I actually find it a pity. I know that there's more and more academics that are beginning to uh, commercialise their work, but um, I'm looking forward to more of that.
0: So Anna, diversity and inclusion is obviously a core value of your business. There are a number of competitors in this space in terms of indoor wayfinding. How do you differentiate and are you seeing that there is this diversity inclusion element from your competitors or they're just focused generally on providing sort of the data for the property managers?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting space, Ali, because a lot of providers will say that they are, uh, that their solution does work for people who are blind or vision impaired. But what they really mean is that if you switch your phone over to voiceover, something will be spoken out from the phone. What we're finding that our competitors are not doing is that they're not really engaging with the disabled community and having them tell us, which is what we did, have them tell us what they need in a solution and to do all of that user testing around the solution. And I suppose it's fair enough, because if you're trying to just get market size, you're trying to get the most users, you'd go for people who were sighted. You wouldn't go for people who are blind or vision impaired. But personally, I just think that it's it's such an important thing to include everybody in our public spaces And so many of our public spaces are built and are not accessible. That There's wheelchair access is terrible and there'd be only Braille signage around a building for somebody who's blind.
0: And so beyond vision impairment, you know, how do you allow for accessibility for people with other disabilities?
1: Uh, There's a bunch of switches that are in the app so you can choose different modes. Um, and then all of our algorithms have got different we've got fusion algorithms that have got different weightings in them so if you're on wheelchair accessible routing um, we've got a whole lot of information that's in the app on where those wheelchair accessible routes are because sometimes it's actually say it's, it's quite funny sometimes going through a building a walkthrough with a building owner when we're saying right if you're in a wheelchair how do you get to the bathroom from here and it's like well you've got to go and find this goods lift that's at the back of the hall and then you've got to go down the goods lift you've got to go up the driveway and then you can find the bathroom and we're sitting there going really and the building manager's going yeah this is bad isn't it that this is the the thing that we're expecting people to And, and also if you're in a wheelchair you don't know this stuff Uh, if it's a brand new building so to to answer your question easily it's a bunch of switches and that's what we're working Uh, we're working with aspect on the autism spectrum routing so people can make choices and that they want low you know audio sensory or they want low light sensory or yeah so the different choices that you can make in the app
2: and i You've worked with Formula One and the Australian Open Tennis. Can you explain how Bindy Maps works in a sporting environment or indeed other environments?
1: Yeah, so the technology that we need to use is uh, a bunch of Bluetooth beacons at the moment. And uh, we work on GPS as well. So for any of those sort of precinct or outdoor environments, we use a mixture Uh, So for those sporting ones that you mentioned, they were quite interesting because they came fairly close together. The Australian Open, we were there just as a help on their disability and inclusion plan. But then for the Formula One Grand Prix, we were there as part of their overall wayfinding strategy. So it was that morphing from being... Really, there just for people who were blind or people in wheelchairs to being there for everyone. And the, the, I think the Australian Open was two and a half million square meters and the Formula One Grand Prix was four and a half million square meters. And uh, we got them both mapped in under a day and live and all of the data flowing back and really good feedback from all of the users whether or not they were blind. In fact, you know, a lot of um, sighted people saying that they wanted it in more places, uh, which has been really great for business since then.
0: And Anna, you're obviously dealing with lots of different types of customers that have, you know, different floor plans. You mentioned that you rolled this out in a day. How do you think about scalability in terms of, you know, if you had to start rolling out, a thousand different locations a day or ten thousand different locations a day. How has your technology evolved to allow you to enable this level of scalability?
1: Yeah, well Ali, it was really it's two parts of the technology that needed to be worked on. The first part is the maps themselves and how we ingest the maps. Uh, we check to make sure that the maps are actually accurate and do all of the routing. Uh, so that has all been done in. Uh, we've built our own CMS to take care of all of that, and we can work from CAD drawings, which every one of these public buildings has because they need to have their fire and emergency drawings. So that's what we we work with from that point of view. Uh, the second part is when we need to put the beacons around, and that is currently still a. Little little bit of a blocker for what we're doing but just between you me and everybody else who are listening uh, we've been working on some beaconless deployments and we're getting much better accuracy it's in our dev app at the moment and that's just going to mean that we can do everything sitting at our desks at home we don't need to be physically on site to do any of the deployment which is just going to make things much faster and much easier than where we're sitting right now
0: And Anna, you're currently in Australia. How do you think about the global landscape? Are there some big competitors overseas or is, you know, moving into the US or Europe? Is that within your roadmap?
1: Well, yes, absolutely. We want to move overseas because we want to see accessibility and inclusion everywhere. But you're right, there's a lot of big players out there that do indoor positioning and navigation. Uh, It's just how well they do the disability part of it and how well they do the feeding back of the data. We're currently building business models for going overseas, looking at sort of two or three actually different ways. We've got a lot of clients here that have got international footprints and they want us in their assets overseas. So there's that sort of pull, but that's going to mean that we've sort of got that scattergun approach. So we're also building business cases around particular areas um, overseas. So, for example, the Las Vegas Strip, um, that if we could sort of make a big bang on a small footprint uh, and then also looking at different verticals and how we might be able to make a bigger entrance into one of those overseas markets. So that's what's sitting on my desk at the moment.
2: Anna, a question in three parts, if I may. What is the state of technology for serving those with disabilities in Australia and globally? Do these groups continue to be underserviced? And what do you think can be done in Australia to foster more innovation in assistive technologies?
1: Yeah, Tim, that's a great question. There's a lot of assistive technology in certain areas. So as far as working with somebody who's blind or vision impaired, uh, if you're wanting to employ somebody, there's every bit of technology available to help them be able to do their job. I've got a staff member at Bindi Maps who is blind and she sends out uh, posters to different clients and most of the clients don't even know that she can't see when they're asking about, you know, can I have the poster with the, <laughs> the little boy in it? Can I have this, that, the other? Um, so that sort of assistive technology is is really well developed. And in Australia in particular, we'll get government funding. So there's no reason for people not to employ somebody who's blind, except that they don't understand. How that whole thing works. Um, and, and a little bit of a plug for Blind Citizens Australia, they're actually about to run a symposium in Sydney about employing people who are blind or have low vision and how easy that is with the government support uh, for assistive technologies. And because you asked your question in three parts, I've already forgotten the second two, so I've only answered your first one. <laughs>
2: The second part was, do these groups continue to be underserviced?
1: Ah, uh, yes. Well, we know, Tim, that, yes, these groups are desperately underserviced. We know that the rate of higher education is really low compared to the general population or the the cited population and we know that employment outcomes it's been one of the big things that's been talked about in the disability royal commission um, is about those employment outcomes and at bindi maps we'd like to think that we're being part of that problem solving because we'd like to see everybody be able to you know be creative and contribute to society, as well as just being able to go to the shops and consume, um, which is why we, we try to do all sorts of different internal buildings.
2: Thanks, Anna. And, and the third and final part of the question, <laughs> to the extent you haven't answered it already. I've got my three fingers,
1: but t- <laughs> I didn't remember.
2: <laughs> what do you think can be done in Australia to foster more innovation in assistive technologies?
1: Tim, I think it's it's actually about educating people and getting more people aware of the world that is around them. So Ali, like you said up front, it's like people who are sighted don't even think like there's Braille on, on that door. How is anyone who's blind supposed to know that the Braille's there? Yeah. And really, is the, is the user experience down in Central Station that you're supposed to trail your hands around the wall until you find a Braille sign? it's like yeah, it's actually nuts yeah it's nuts and when you think about it you go that's crazy why is it like that and I think most people are are really open to this that our world should be inclusive it's that you don't know what you don't know and then suddenly you get that light bulb moment and I think that's just what we need to have more of the general population and then I would say Maybe from an investment point of view or a business building point of view, that should be a question. And I'm going to put it to Artesian. It should be a question that on everybody's investment is are you making sure that this is accessible to people who are blind? Is this accessible to people in wheelchairs? How does this work uh, for people of differing abilities?
0: And I think it comes down to as well, you know, as you said, education and employment of people who have diverse experiences in life to make sure that these points are being focused on and these questions are being asked so that we do have products and, you know, companies that are more accessible to a wide range of people. So it, it is a super complex topic.
1: Yeah. I think it's also important that um, you know we say that we do want to include people, but I think we should also recognise that including people with a disability or or a different level of ability can actually be well. It is a group positive for all of humankind, and oh, the example. Yeah, the example I'd like. To use or the one that I use often is a friend of mine who's completely blind but works with NASA identifying new planets through sound waves. And so I go, well, what are all of those other business things that could be done, other problems that could be solved when we bring different ways of thinking about problems to the table that as sighted people, we just look for things. But what else is there that we could solve if we've got more of these voices, which has always been the thing about diversity and inclusion, hasn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. It is, yeah, it's definitely a net positive. As we know, you know, we talk about gender inclusivity and, you know, ethnicity and but having this this sort of being able to include disabled people or people with varying abilities is net positive because you have these different viewpoints or these different skill sets. As you said, that example about NASA is fantastic. So, Anna, I want to switch gears a little bit. I know you've raised a bit of money. Um, I wanted to chat about, you know, how have you found raising capital in Australia? You know, what's been your challenges and successes to date?
1: Well, I think everyone will say that raising capital is is tricky. <laughs> so I think early on, I needed to have quite a lot of education, uh, and I'll call out to Ali in this in exactly how VCs think and what sorts of things that you guys look at. Um, and I think that's been one of our my great relationships. So thanks, Ali. So yeah, it was first working out what VCs look at. But what angel investors or super high net worths look at is quite different to what VCs look at. So it has been a very interesting journey. And I think you, you mentioned in the start that I actually have done a lot of research in valuations of unique assets. I had to throw all of that out because <laughs> no one I'm always like, are you serious? That's what you're looking at, but (laughs) that's okay. Um, That's all about learning and curiosity. So yes, we have had success in being able to keep growing the business and accessing funds. It's always difficult because you're always going out there and you're showing your beautiful little baby to the world and (laughs) the world's there going. It's not as beautiful as you think it is. So that can always be a little bit of a heartbreak. But I'd say for advice is you just got to stick to it. You will find the right people. It's just to be able to really clearly describe what you're trying to achieve in the world and then finding people that resonate with that vision for the future of the company and then all of the negotiations around term sheets and valuations and all the rest of it. And have a friendly VC. There you go.
2: Anna, thanks so much for being on the Art House podcast today with us. It's been fascinating. For those wanting to learn a bit more about Bindi Maps, what can they do?
1: Thank you for, for having me on the podcast. And uh, for anyone listening, if you'd like to download and try Bindi Maps, it is free to download, there is no sign ons. There's a list of places that you can give it a go at on our website, which would be mainly for public-facing be shopping centres and MSAC and uh, National Library, all sorts of different places. But give it a go and uh, shoot us an email and let us know what you think about it. And that goes for everyone, whether you're blind or if you can see or if you're in a wheelchair. Please let us know what your experience is like with Bindi Maps because we'd love to hear all of your feedback.
0: Thank you so much, Anna, for coming. We really enjoyed having you on. It was a fantastic conversation, as we always have fantastic conversations, and really great to hear your perspective and hear about, you know, diversity and inclusion, particularly in the way that you're looking at it for blind and visually impaired people. So thank you so much.
2: Thanks, Anna.
1: Thank you.